Hi again, everybody, moms and dads, boys and girls. You are in the Chatter Zone. We are recording on Monday the 8th for replay on the, uh, what did you say, Becky, 12, 13, 14? 12th, 13th, and 14th. Of January in the year of our Lord, 2024. And we've got a great guest who we haven't been able to get to. And now we have him. And we finally have Father Robert Alt here. And we'll be talking to him and his about his new book and all of that after we begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, Mary, that that never was it known known, that that anyone who fled to thy protection protection, implored thy thy help help, or sought thy intercession was was left left unaided, unaided, inspired by this confidence, confidence, I fly fly unto thee. Virgins, 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 my mother, mother, to thee we come, come before the stand we stand, sinful and sorrowful, O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in mercy, mercy, hear and answer us. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I never get tired of praying that prayer, Becky. No. What a beautiful prayer. So we are recording on the uh, 8th of uh, January, 2024, on what will possibly go down in history as the eve of uh, Stormageddon. That's right. Our first storm of the season. So we're, we've got all kind of report, uh, 4 to 6 inches, 7 to 10 inches, uh, 11 to 13 inches, and one, one outlier just called in and said, I heard it's going to be 16 inches. We'll see if it even gets a dusting here in, uh, in Dubuque. And a big shout-out to all of our friends over at Hotworks on Holiday Drive. Holiday with two L's. With two L's, and they're probably working out. Uh, did, you, uh, did you have the self-will to uh, not go back for seconds and thirds during all of the holiday, Becky? Oh, I, I wish I could say I did. How about you, Father? Father Robert Altier is with us. Did you uh, exhibit... Um, Self-control going through all of the holiday, Christmas, and New Year uh, buffets? The only self-control I can uh, actually claim is that I tried just about everything. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. If you haven't heard that voice, Becky, i got to believe there's a lot of people saying, that's who that guy is. Because, Mm -hmm. Father, how many years have you been recording on uh, YouTube and other uh, Spotify uh, channels uh well the, the, somebody started a, a long time ago um back in, well actually i guess in the in the early 1990s is when when people started recording the talks and homilies and wow and so so yeah it's just been on a variety of different uh on dif- different channels or whatever so we're talking uh, 25 or 30 years at this point yeah yeah so give us some background. Father Robert Altier, you're uh, up in Minnesota. Why don't you just give us a biography on your life, your ordination, your priesthood, and, and um, tell us who you really well, are. Sure. I, I was uh, ordained in 1989 uh, for the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis. And uh, right now I am assigned at Holy Trinity and St. Augustine in South St. Paul. And so I've been a, a priest going on 30, 34 years now, uh, going on 35, I guess, this year. And, and um, 
you know, so parish priest um, most of my life. I was eight years in a, in a, in a hospital setting, but otherwise in parishes and, uh, and now, you know, doing lots of, of speaking and, and, and different classes and talks and so on over the years and mm -hmm. just had the, the, the privilege of really being able to do a lot of, a lot of teaching. You've got a book out uh, that we talked about uh, a couple different times in 2023, God's Plan for, for Marriage. And uh, I got a couple of books um, off your website, Father, and I'm happy to say they, they were all stolen out of our library here. Becky stole one. I think, uh, I think Colleen's got one. But uh, what, a, what a great, timely uh, book. Is this your first book? Give us some background on your authorship. Well, yeah, writing a book is not something I ever thought of doing because I actually have dyslexia. Um, but God has a sense of humor. And so, you know, he chooses, as St. Paul says, the weak, he chooses the lowborn, the ones that nobody would expect. And so what happened is actually back in 2019, it was in February of 2019, um, one, one day I sat down to pray and normally prayer is just very quiet there's just nothing mm -hmm. um, yeah. which is just fine that's pretty normal uh, but I sat down to pray and immediately there was this beautiful thought about about marriage that was in my head that I've never thought of in my life and and I, I said to our Lord I, I, I'm sorry but I have to write this down because I know myself well enough if I don't write it down I'll just spend the rest of time in prayer thinking about it. And so I, I wrote it down. No sooner had I put the pen down than the next thought was in my head. And once again, a thought that I've never thought of in my life. And mm -hmm. so I wrote that down. And then same thing happened again and again. And with three exceptions uh, during the month where things were just quiet as usual, uh, every day for the rest of the month of, of February, there were these beautiful, jaw-droppingly beautiful, in my mind, ideas about prayer that were just being given to me. It ended on the 28th of February as quickly as it started. That's the last time it happened. And so I had written them all down and typed them up. It wound up being 16 pages, single space of notes. Wow. And and I said, well, now what am I supposed to do with this? Because it's it's too much, you know, just by itself to try and go over with a couple in, in a pre-marriage stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it became pretty clear. It's like, write a book. Like I said, I just laughed. It's like, yeah, right, I have dyslexia. It's like, well, our lady gets what our lady wants. And so she wants a book, she got a book. And uh, on top of the, uh, the, the humor of it all, it's like, well, when? I mean, my schedule is just insane. It's like, when am I supposed to be writing this? And, well, it got written during Lent. So the busiest time of the year. And, you know, I didn't think <laughs> I had time to do it at all. And so, again, God's sense of humor. And so in the busiest time of the year, that's when we wrote a book. And, and uh, you know, it's just been a whirlwind since then, uh, trying to just, you know, let it go wherever it is that Our Lady wants it to go. And, and so it's, it's, been, it's been interesting, to say the least, to watch how this has worked. Because, you know, I've got no background in publishing or any of that, nor did I ever think I would. I mean, as I'm 
writing this, I always kind of half-jokingly say I I use the, the backspace key almost as much as I use the, 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 the space bar. And so so it's it's the joy of having dyslexia, but that's the way it is, and that's who our Lord chose, so praise Him. So in addition to your book, you, you've got some great homilies. I think they're mostly homilies or, or perhaps missions uh, that are on YouTube and things like that. I don't want to deviate from the book, but it, I'm, I'm curious. We had a couple of questions. Where do you come up with these um, themes for your presentations? Because you've got a reputation as one of the great homilists, or dare we say, uh, deliverers of a sermon. Do we call them sermons anymore? <laughs> sermon, homily, whatever. Uh, actually, um, once again, it's something I can't take credit for. Um, back about 30 years or so ago now, there was a woman who showed up in my office mm -hmm. and she said to me, well, what's the difference between, you know, my husband wants to know, what's the difference between your weekday homilies and your Sunday homilies? And I said, well, it used to be that, you know, the Lord would, as I would pray about it, he would kind of, you know, give me an idea of what he wanted me to preach about. Mm -hmm. But I said, he, he stopped doing that. So now on the weekdays, I have no idea what I'm going to preach about, but I said, at least on Sundays, I still have an idea where I'm going to go. I don't have it planned out exactly, but I know what the topic is and where it's going to go. And and so she looked at me and goes, oh, well, he thinks your weekday homilies are a lot better than your Sunday homilies. <laughs> and I said, no. And then she just looked at me and said, look, God gave you a gift to preach. Trust him. He's going to take care of it. I said, you want me to get up on Sunday morning with nothing prepared? And she said, if he can give you a weekday homily, why can't he give you a Sunday homily? And so oh, wow. ever since then, I don't have anything prepared. I have no clue what I'm going to be preaching about, no, to no idea what even the topic is going to be until I stand at the pulpit and open my mouth and, and out things start coming. So it is entirely the work of the Holy Spirit at that point. So you're not even scripting this word for word. You're not scripting it even in an outline form. No, there's absolutely, I, I don't even know the topic. Oh so if, if I'm giving a talk, you know, like a, a presentation, I'll have an outline. Right. Um, but, um, but for homilies, I don't even know the topic. And this is seven days a week, not only your weekday masses, but your, your Sunday liturgies, your Sunday Exactly, homilies. yep. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that so answers that question, Becky. It certainly does. Father, I want to thank you for writing this book. It was it was uh, a beautiful book, and I can honestly say it, it is a book I totally recommend for those that are thinking about marriage um, and those of us that have been married fifty one years. It was it was a wonderful book. Thank you for writing it. Oh, thank you. You yeah, and the Blessed well, Mother. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I suppose about four-fifths of it's my stuff because it's setting it up and explaining it, but the main pieces, again, aren't mine. But uh, what what I can say about it, I, I think what you probably would recognize is that it's not like most books about marriage. So first of all, there are a whole bunch of things in there that I've never thought of in my life before I wrote it, as I mentioned. And, and so there's a lot of what I believe is brand new stuff, insights, and I believe that this is heaven's response to the crisis in marriage and family right now. And it is, it is not a how-to book. 
obviously as a priest, I can't write a how-to book on marriage. Um, it's, it's about the spiritual foundation. So yeah, there are some practical things mm -hmm. in there, but primarily it's about the spiritual reality of marriage, which is the foundation of it all. And I oftentimes will say to people, look, if you go to a marriage counselor, they're going to talk to you about communication. They're going to talk to you about the relationship and they're going to talk to you about the sexuality. But the fourth part of marriage, which is really the first part, is the spiritual union of the couple. And that's the foundation. And if you if you just work on the others without working on the foundation, you know, you've got a, a house that's got a new roof and new siding, but the foundation's falling apart it's not going to last. And so, so the attack right now is on marriage and family. We have to build up that spiritual part of the marriage for people. And, and I think that's what this does is that it, it, it starts laying the foundation uh, for, for, you know, I, I, my hope is that, you know, this will, this will be picked up by others. And, and, you know, so this will just be the first peace that's out there, others then can run with it and, and really start developing a theology of marriage. What are you seeing as a pastor? Did you say 31 years a priest or 35 years? Going on 35 this 30, year. 35 years. What, what is different today being a priest who's, who's the, the father figure of of a family which is the parish and and young couples or becky did you say 41 years F 51 years 51 years what what are you seeing different in your parish or elsewhere as it relates to marriage well there are a couple of things on the negative side fewer and fewer people are being married in the church um so you, you have more and more people that are cohabitating which is tragic uh and and just in general, fewer than 20% of all marriages are in a church of any kind. Uh, so whether that's Catholic or Protestant, fewer than 20% of people getting quote unquote married wow. are being married in a church. So, wow. so there is that uh, on, on the very negative side. And uh, when I was first ordained, of course, it's a, it's, it's a little bit of apples to oranges, but, but the, uh, the, the parish I was assigned to, there were you know, 3,100 families in the parish, and we had more than 50 weddings a year. Mm. And so most of my appointments were wedding appointments. And and now I hardly have any wedding appointments. Now, of course, that parish, um, you know, at the time, that was, you know, it had a lot of families that, that the, the, the kids would have been at marriageable age, obviously. And now the, the, the parish that I'm in, got a lot of young families with, with younger kids. And that's this is the positive part of what I see happening is that there is, uh, so, so on the one side, you, you've got this, this push against marriage and family. Right. And then you have the reaction to that. And there are a growing number of young people who really want to live a holy marriage and they're having large families and and they, they, they want to live good, solid, Catholic, holy lives. And, and that's what we're seeing now. And, and so there's, there's a lot of hope as far as that part goes. Uh, there's a lot of teaching that needs to be done because a lot of these younger people aren't coming out of good situations necessarily where they had uh, you know, good parents modeling things. A lot of them come out of divorce situations or, 
whatever you know and, and just the, what they've what they've learned in the world today so we have a lot of work to do but but thanks be to god he's putting into the hearts of these young people that desire to live a truly good holy marriage and raise up young holy people young saints you know for the church becky we're starting to see that in parishes around town young families with uh a gaggle of children. Can we, we say, are. Can we say we that's not a pejorative uh, term, is it, yeah. Father? A gaggle of children? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yes, we have, um, uh, Tom and I belong to the same parish, Father, and we have a large homeschool community that our parish priest really does support. And oh, give, you know, and um, we are, we're seeing large families, they're filling the pews, and mom is expecting another one along the way and it's just just beautiful yeah praise god and so again you you see the you you see the grace of god at work in in a world that's going further and further astray all of a sudden out of nowhere you've got all these young people who are saying we don't want to do it this way Mm -hmm. and we're gonna you know there's there's a better way and and they're they're going against the grain and so it's it's a it's a really beautiful thing our guest is Father Robert Altier. He's uh, just up the road a piece in uh, South St. Paul, Minnesota, and he's our guest today on the Chatter. And uh, Father, we're gonna we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back and uh, ask a couple things about uh, spirituality in the um, in the marriage. We're gonna talk more about mm-hmm. your book called God's Plan for Your, your Marriage. marriage. Which is uh, an easy read. What is it? Uh, 150 pages, something like that. Becky. Oh, maybe a little over. Yeah, pages, not quite 200 like pages, but it's an easy anyway, read, and it's a. It's we're going to talk more about that because this is a big topic on FM 98.3 KCRD. You're listening to the Chatter. Becky, we're back in the Chatter Zone. This is episode 113 in the uh, merry month of uh, January before the big storm. We'll, we'll see if this holds true because we're, we're recording forever. Father Robert Altier is with us. Sounds like he's right in the studio, but our engineer's got a great connection to South St. Paul. Uh, Father's in Holy Family and, and um, St. Um, Augustine Parish? St. Holy Trinity. Holy Trinity. Trinity. Yes, Holy Trinity. Oh, Holy Trinity in St. Augustine. Well, if I could read my own handwriting, I'd, uh, I'd have it down there, Father. So, great segment. We got the holy part right. Yeah, the <laughs> great, great segment. I had a couple questions. Becky, did you have a question you want to start out? Because I, I don't want to. I did. Father, you know, um, in your book, you talked about the, the needs, you know, husband and wives. And mm-hmm. many times men, you know, they kind of, treat their wives kind of like they would treat their men friends and the same thing mm-hmm. goes for the for the women you know mm-hmm. and they we have to remember we each have different needs you want to kind of address we, that yeah we have very very different needs you know, males and females when we look at the differences it's almost in some ways 180 degrees um and and so it's an area that i would suggest for couples to sit down and talk about uh, for, for two reasons. 
One, one of the, the struggles that women deal with is that women don't, if they're dealing with another woman, they never have to tell her what their needs are because a woman, I always say it's if, if you go into a woman's kitchen, she's got that one drawer that's got just about everything ever invented in it. And, uh, and, and she'll try something and if that doesn't work, she goes back to the drawer and tries something else and she'll just keep going back until she finds what works. And that's not the way a guy works. We usually show up with one tool and if it doesn't work, we'll turn it upside down, we'll pound with it, we'll try and pry with it. If it doesn't work, we just throw up our arms and say, I guess it doesn't work. And so, so for women, it's, it's really necessary to understand that you need to tell your husband what you need. Now that sounds almost offensive to a woman to think of doing that, but it's, it's not in a selfish way that you're doing it, but rather to help him. He wants to meet your needs. He, he loves you. He wants to do what is best for you, but he honestly doesn't have a clue. And so if you can tell him what your needs are, then he can bring the right tool to the job and he can meet that, those needs and he wants to do that. And the same is true for, for the men, you know, to be able to let your, your wife know what your needs are so that she can, she can meet those needs. Same idea, you know, that, that, that again, you, you look back at what was promised and, and, and the day of marriage, and that's to love one another. Well, that's to serve one another. That, that's to put the other before you and, and, and seek the other's good. That's exactly what your wife wants to do for the men. That's exactly what your husband wants to do for the women. But everybody's frustrated if you don't know what the needs are and you're trying to meet those needs and you're doing it the wrong way. The other person's frustrated because they didn't have their needs met and they don't seem too appreciative of what you're doing. And then you get frustrated because they don't seem to care. And, and in fact, it's just the opposite. But we need to know what those needs are because that's, it's not what's going to come naturally to either of us to know the needs of the opposite sex. I'm just looking at Becky right now, Father. She's shaking her head because I can hear my husband say, I can't read your mind. Yeah, I can see. <laughs> and, now I, and now I can hear Becky saying, Keith, bring over that yellow and black thingy. <laughs> you know, the thing that... Uh, <laughs> oh, Father, that's a great, uh, great overview. Are there... Is there a deeper level to that? I mean, some real, I mean, you, you said you got to ask for what you're doing and he doesn't know what you're looking for. But how does that manifest itself? Are there some, uh, do you have an example you can share without uh, betraying well, like, the uh, seal of the confessional? <laughs> well, an example that I frequently use. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 when I was in the seminary, we had to do a hospital internship. And the first day that we were there, you know, you go around the table and introduce yourself and, you know, talk about everything. And there was there was one poor woman who had a rather traumatic situation that she was talking about. And in the midst of that, she started crying. Well, there was one guy who seemed to have the idea that the only reason that a woman cries is to manipulate a man. Mm. And he just went berserk. And it was so obvious that that's not what she was doing at all. She was she she was truly in pain from what she the, the experience she had, 
and you know this whole thing gets rather heated and blows up and and you know when it finally calms down mm -hmm. you know i said to her okay as a guy we're mr fix it what are we supposed to do when a woman cries i, I said because i i don't i don't know and she looked at me and said just put a box of kleenex in front of us and leave us alone we'll calm down then we can pick it up and for me, that has been a lifesaver because I just have a box of Kleenex on my desk. And when the woman starts crying, I just move it right in front of her. And I know that that's all that I need to do. I don't have to fix it. Mm -hmm. And and so so it's just it's little examples like that, you know, mm -hmm. and and so even for for couples, when when you're getting frustrated with one another, it may not be in the midst of the situation where it's a good time to ask, what do you need? But at least afterward, when things are calmed down, it's like, when this happens or when you're like this, what do you need me to do? You know, because sometimes it's just, I just need you to sit with me. Sometimes I need you to hold my hand. Sometimes I just need to be alone. And, you know, each person has their own needs. And, and if you try to do something that's not what the person needs, especially if it's in a moment of frustration, mm -hmm. it's only going to make them more frustrated. So, so it's little things like that, you know, that as well as the relational needs. Um, and, you know, there's, I remember talking with, with, with one couple and, and the, the, the girl brings up several times, you know, that he never brings her flowers or anything like that. And, and finally he looks at me and says, what would the guys think if I, if they ever found out that I walked into a flower shop? And I said, you're doing this for your wife. Do you love your wife more than you love the guys? You know, why? What, what are they going to think that you're that you're doing this for your wife because you love her? Is that a problem? And you know, so so sometimes again, it's just the way that that, that they're looking at things, and 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 so so it's just if, if that's what's important to you as a person, you need to be able to communicate that to your spouse so that the person knows this is this is what's important to me this is what i need you know in our relationship this is what i need when i'm crying this is what i need when i'm angry this is what what i need when you know, whatever and and so so that and and even to to, to help the person as they're trying mm -hmm. and sometimes you can say to them i see what you're trying to do and i appreciate that but it's not working here's what i need you to do and and so so it's just again working together helping one another building one another up that way mm. so father altier is our guest and you're talking about some real life examples where um uh, what was the book men are from mars and women from venus and oh yes there the two shall meet but uh so my words not yours father it seems like this is a a lack of intimacy between husband and wife is that a fair statement well intimacy not some not meaning in the sexual sense correct in, in, a mental in, emotional right intimacy is that how how mm -hmm. does a couple get to that level that that you're describing uh, is at least in that example lacking well, and a couple of things. First of all, obviously communication is, is what's going to be critical in that. But what I would maintain is if a couple really wants the intimacy in general, you have to pray together. Each one of you needs to have your own prayer life, but you have to pray together as a couple. Mm -hmm. You have kids, you have to pray with your children. But it's that prayer together 
that's again building up that spiritual union and the more that that is there mm -hmm. the more that everything is going to flow from it because there's a greater vulnerability there's a greater trust there's a greater charity and so then it's much easier to open up and let the other person know what the needs are it's much easier to meet those needs because again the, the openness and the vulnerability is there and again if we even just think you know on on the physical part of the marriage you know that that is the expression of the spiritual union that happens in a marriage so the more profound the intimacy is spiritually the more profound that experience is going to be for a couple when they're united physically that way and and so so again if that's if that's a physical expression of the spiritual union then just in general the relational part the communications part the intimate the, the physical part the more intimate things are on the spiritual level the more profound that is going to be in the rest of the marriage wow colleen our guest is father robert altier from south saint paul hi father i'm jumping in mid-conversation here so i apologize hi, colleen <laughs> well welcome to the chatter well thank you <laughs> I am. I'm jumping in midstream, so I hope that maybe what I'm going to ask you've already covered. But when you talk about couples praying together, I'm assuming you mean more than grace before meals. Absolutely. Okay. Um, what would you suggest? What, where would a couple start if they've never prayed together before? Where would you suggest they start? Well, uh, it's again, it's going to depend on, on, the, the, on the particular couple. But there are some things like the rosary or the Divine Mercy Chaplet or the, the breviary or novenas, or is something that, again, is, is objective um, that's, that, that's there. Uh, you can also pray together, you know, you can do mental prayer at the same time. That's not exactly praying together because each one is individual at that point. Um, but, but, you know, there, there are so many different prayers that, that are there uh, that the church has given to us that, that, that a couple can make use of. And, and so it's, it's starting to develop that. And if you've not, not prayed together and there's not much of a spiritual life there, start small and then start working your way up. It might be one decade of the rosary to begin with. You get used to doing that, then make it two and then three and, and pretty soon you're up to the whole rosary. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and that way, again, it's, it's, if you do too much, you're going to quit. Uh, yeah. And, and so, so start small and build your way up as you, as you begin to develop that, that, that spiritual part. I think, too, if there is a common intention, either for their children to come back to the faith or for the healing of some family member, if there's a common intention that they can focus around, like, let's pray a novena for so-and-so's healing. Um, let's pray a, a rosary for, you know, our kids to come back to the faith. If there's a, a an intention to, to make that, um, build that around, I think I think that would be helpful, too. Absolutely, because then it gives you a purpose. Right. You know, because yeah. otherwise, granted, there's a purpose in just praying, but if you have a reason for doing it, that definitely helps. It, uh, it's a motivator uh, to, to help the, the couple to, to say, you know, if it was just for me, maybe I'd say I'm too tired, I just right. want to go to bed. Mm -hmm. We're doing it for our kids. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I'll, I'll be there. Yep, yep, great. Father, you said uh, a while ago, um, you talked about the culture. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know that we can 
talk about a uh, Judeo-Christian culture. Are, are we in the neo-pagan era, the post-Christian era? We talked about, uh, you mentioned a uh, uh, number of couples coming to you uh, that are cohabitating uh, before that. What, what, when they're in these kinds of cultural situations which aren't Christian culture, what, what kind of impediments, roadblocks, and difficulties do you see um, when, when you see them for the first time? Well, there, there, there are quite a few, actually, because we live, number one, in the most selfish society in the history of the world, and selfishness is the opposite of love, so they want to tell me how much they're in love with one another, but they don't even know what that even means these days. Uh, it's just an emotional thing or whatever, and, and so there's, there's not much depth that way. Um, oftentimes, they're in the state of mortal sin because maybe they're living together, uh, and and they're sexually active um, in the society we're living in they they generally think that contraception is perfectly fine and they don't understand why the church teaches what she does uh, and and so they've just rejected it outright uh, so you've got two people who are using each other two people who are being very selfish uh, and and so to try to to move them forward to the point of looking at this and saying, you know, your, your, your call is to love each other. And, and that's the opposite of selfishness. And if you're looking for fulfillment as a person, it's not going to be found in using this other person for your own selfish pleasure, but it's going to be found in serving the other person and giving to the other person as well as receiving, but not taking. And, and so, so there's, there's a lot of stuff. If you, even if you look at the book, the way that it's that it's laid out, the first two chapters, the first chapter is just really about the dignity that we have as human persons, and the second chapter is about love, and those are just foundational because that's that's the case for every human being. We're made in the image and likeness of God. God is love, truth, and life. That's what we're made for: love, truth, and life. And and so so those two, you would think we shouldn't even have to talk about those because that should just be something that is so obvious to everybody but unfortunately the devil has been so successful and sin has messed us up so badly that we don't know our own dignity and consequently we don't know even what that call to love is and so so that's even why those first two chapters are there just laying the foundation before we can really even say too much about marriage itself mm -hmm. are the couples open to that idea or are they so stuck in the culture that that their brain freezes when you bring up some of these ideas a lot of them it's uh, it's the first time that they've heard it mm -hmm. and so they, they they just don't get it mm -hmm. so you really have to start s slowly i i it's pope john paul uh you, you know he he was a phenomenologist and phenomenology is uh unlike the opposite, which is uh, you know the Aquinas part, uh, after which you are named, um, but but Saint, so Saint Thomas, he was using Aristotle uh, as as the foundation for his philosophy, and that's a top-down approach. Here's the truth: the truth is there for everyone. You're part of everyone. The truth applies to you. But Pope John Paul not only had a background in in Thomism but also in phenomenology, which is the opposite. It's the bottom up. So it starts with the tiniest little movements within the person and then develops upon those. And the brilliance of that for today is that 
rather than saying, look, this is the truth for everyone, you just need to accept it as, you know, you're part of everyone. This is looking at saying, here's why this is good for you. And so that's the that's the approach I try to take because it's it's they're so self-centered that the only way to approach it is to say, okay, let's talk about you. That's what mm. they're interested in. That's mm-hmm. what they want to hear about. Mm-hmm. And and so so if I approach it that way, they can start to understand it. They can start to hear it. And ultimately, you're leading to the point of saying, okay, what's best for you is not to be selfish. Mm-hmm. And and that's something that is totally new to them. And so it, it takes them a while to be able to to start to to adjust to that. Very, very sneaky, Father. We're going to talk more about that in segment three on episode uh, 113, Colleen. On the chatter brought to you by Hotworks on Holiday Drive. We're back in the studios with Colleen. You made it. I'm sorry I'm late. I'm sorry. I think most of our listeners know that the maternity home just moved a yeah. couple weeks ago. So the past, the last two weeks of December, we're all caught up in moving. And then last week I was out sick. And then I'm back today for the first time at work. Oh, and there's a snowstorm coming. What's your plan for snow removal? <laughs> oh, my gosh, are you kidding? But I'm proud to say we got snow removal coming. Because you only have a 75-yard uh, driveway. <laughs> To get that happen. God is good. It's all taken care of. So I'm sorry I'm joining the conversation late, but good job carrying on without me. Becky, what do you got for Father? Well, Father, maybe we should address um, in the book uh, the union of souls, you know. Mm -hmm. Kind of speak to us on that. Well, that's that's actually, uh, if you you look at the book, that's the central point of the book. Um, That's the one that I would look at as the most important and and so the question you know we talk about the spiritual union of the of of a marriage and you say okay what is it that 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 happens in a marriage your marriage is a sacrament why uh what what happens and and it's interesting because before i wrote the book i just went around and asked anybody that i talked to okay what what is it about marriage marriage is a sacrament well, you know, there, there's grace, and it's like, yeah, but you get grace in all the sacraments. You know, why is marriage a sacrament? What makes marriage different? And and nobody could 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 explain it. And and so so the central point in in the book from which everything else then uh, flows is that it's the two souls that are united. Mm. When you look at at the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. There's that question of can a man divorce his wife for any reason, whatever, and Jesus says, okay, look, he goes back to Genesis, mm-hmm. and he says a man will leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, the two become one flesh. And then he adds a line that is nowhere else in the entire Bible, and that is what God has joined, let no man put asunder. Hmm. So the question is, what did God join? And people say, well, the bodies, it's like, no, because St. Paul even talks about the fact that if a man has relations with a prostitute, he becomes one flesh with her. If that's the case, obviously God didn't join that. And on top of that, if you look in, in the, the new rite of marriage, it's that the couple makes their vows and assuming that the couple has been chased before, before the marriage, 
the couple makes the vows, the, there is no physical union as yet, but the priest says what God has joined, let no man put asunder. So there's something that God joined before the bodies get joined together. And what is that? And so my point is it's the souls. God created the souls, only he can put them together. And this is why marriage is indissoluble because God puts something together. The state gives you a piece of paper and says you're married. That's a legal contract. We're talking about a covenant. And so in a covenant, that's an agreement between God and his people. And so, so the couple entering into a sacramental marriage, this is what's different from entering into a civil marriage or to a natural marriage, a sacramental marriage is spiritual. And, and so that's what happens. There's a miracle that happens and God recreates that couple in essence. He created them to be separate and individual. Now he recreates them to be truly one. The two become one, just like what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. He started with one made two, and then he brought them back together as husband and wife. So the fullness of humanity, masculine and feminine, are united in one reality of the two souls being united. And, and that, again, is something that, that most people have not heard of. Archbishop Sheen talked about that. Um, you know, St. Robert Bellarmine talked about that years and years ago, but it's never really been picked up and, and, and developed. And, but that's, that's the central point about marriage is, is that's the spiritual union. And once we can understand that, it's like, okay, now what flows from that? If the two are truly one, what does that mean? And, and that's what the rest of the book is covering then is, is, is all that, that can follow from it. So that idea of union of souls, is that how then St. Paul can talk about Christ and his church as the bride and the bridegroom? Is that because a union of souls? Well, not entirely, because this, uh, the church it doesn't have a soul per se in that sense, as we would. Um, but but in, in essence, yes, because the soul is the principle of life. So on the cross, Jesus gave his life to the church. Mm-hmm. And the church then receives that life and gives that back. That's just exactly what a husband and wife do, that both both die to, to one another and both give their life to the other. Mm-hmm. And so so both both give and both receive. That's what the church does. And and the the only part in this book, interestingly, that didn't uh, of the of the ideas that, that weren't mine, um, the only one that didn't come in my regular formal prayer was the one about this point you were just asking about and that I was explaining. And that is okay if the church and Christ is the model, you know, if marriage is about, about Christ and the church, and we have a husband and wife both dying to one another and both giving their life to the other. And, mm-hmm. and so, okay, I can understand that, but it's like, but Jesus is God. God is life. So how does the church give life to Jesus? Mm-hmm. This just, and, and, I, and I thought about it and, thought, and it made no sense to me. And, and then I went over and said Mass, and right at the moment of the consecration, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like, okay, a second ago, that was a piece of bread. Hmm. Now it's Jesus. Hmm. 
the church gave life to Jesus in the Eucharist. Mm. And so so the, so Jesus gives his life to the church, so it's now hers, but it's his life that he gave to her. So now she is giving her life to him, which is his life, and he is now present in the Holy Eucharist. Both give, both receive. Mm. It's it just, it, 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 for me, that uh, was just so profound uh, of, a, of, a, of a grace that was given to understand that. That's a beautiful and, and insight. So, beautiful insight. And it comes to you right at the moment of consecration. Exactly. And so just like in a marriage, the two share one life. They become one. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's beautiful. Colleen, you had a couple of thoughts. Did, I, did you get them all? I'm kind of caught up in this whole union of souls thinking and the Eucharist thinking and just wondering about the Eucharist and we're focusing on the Eucharist and the year of the Eucharist and Eucharistic revival and it's just all swirling in my mind. I got a feeling, Father, when you're bringing um, a young couple in for counseling or pre-cana and maybe they're, I don't mean to stereotype, but the statistics would say most people are living together before they come to see you. Uh, or they're already married, and if they're coming to see you, it isn't because they want to tell you how wonderful their marriage is. Right. So in either instance, they're married and things are rocky, uh, or they want to get married, and all of a sudden after whatever warm-up you've got, then you sneak up on them and you hit them with this uh, big two-by-four that says, your souls are supposed to be united in this marriage. What's what's the look on their face? What's their reaction? Well, usually it's the first time they've ever heard that, and they just sort of stare at you blankly because they don't even know what you mean. And so, so then then you have to go back and explain it to them. You know that they, they can start to get it, but but again, it takes it takes a fair amount of explanation. Um, because, you know, even if you think, well, okay, the, 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 the two are united, it's like, yeah, we are, we're a team. It's like, no, 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 no. If you've got a ball team, that's just some guys that are getting together to play ball with, you know, maybe they've got the goal of wanting to win the game or whatever mm-hmm. you want to say, or they're just out to have fun. They're all on the same team. They're all moving the same direction. That's not what marriage is. It's not just a, a union that's that way. There is a true union. The two become one. And, and that's, that's the part that people have to understand. And, and that's, I think, where, where marriage has become just disposable these days because they don't understand it. They don't understand what love is, and they don't understand what that union is. And so, therefore, they're just willing to walk away and, and not make the effort to truly love this other person and allow themselves to be loved by this other person and and so so that's that's the part that you know when when as you're talking about with with the, the the couples that come in you have to undo a lot of stuff they they've got themselves into a bad situation and you have to backtrack and and get them onto the right track so that they that their marriage can actually grow because it's not just a matter of saying well 
okay, let's take it from where it is and go from there. It's like, you can't, it's all messed up. Mm -hmm. It's on, they, they, they took the wrong exit. You know, mm -hmm. you, you gotta, you gotta backtrack, get back on the freeway here and, and, and get on the right track. Mm -hmm. So you're doing kind of immediate preparation for marriage in an ideal father Altier runs the world situation. What would you do for more remote preparation for the couples so that they're not blindsided by this idea? Well, the, the, I think the most important thing is, is, is the prayer life. Um, you know, if, if each of the individuals has a prayer life, just one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, that's the most important thing because that begins to conform you to Christ. You're made in his image and likeness. It be that then you can begin to understand who God made you to be and, and what your call is. And, and that then helps you to be able to say, okay, I want to do God's will. And if I'm going to be, if my vocation is to be married, and that's the other part for people who aren't married, is to really pray about your vocation. Because most people just assume that they know what their vocation is. You know, I want to be married. I want to have kids. So therefore, I must be called to be married. Well, I can tell you, I wanted to be married and have 12 kids, and I'm a priest. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. so you know, when you when you actually bring it to prayer, God may give you an answer that isn't the one that you expected. Mm -hmm. And and so so pray about your vocation and and leave yourself open to allow God to to guide you but but that that point of the spiritual life as we move forward that's the one that's most important because if we really want to love your spouse more you have to love the Lord more. And if you want to do marriage according to the way that God wants marriage then you have to know God and you have to know his will for you and for your marriage. Mm -hmm. And so so the prayer life is actually the number one thing that I would recommend to everybody. And that almost needs to start, you know, before you start dating. It almost needs to Absolutely. start. Well, of course, prayer should start as a child. But, you know, maybe middle school really start praying, what is my vocation? Um, in, a cons cons in a concerted way. Um, starting exactly. then instead of waiting until you're you know, 25 or mm -hmm. already in yeah. love with somebody. Yeah. yeah. And then, then if, if you are, if you recognize the vocation is to be married, then now start praying for your future spouse. You know, not only, you know, because that's going to be what's best for that person, they're going to have to live with you for the rest of your, their life. Mm -hmm. So it'd be a good thing for you to pray for them. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but, but just, you know, again, already developing that spiritually. And, and if there is a couple, you know, if you want to stay out of sin, pray together. Mm. Because if you're, again, if you're building up the spiritual part of the, of the, the relationship, then the the, uh, the the physical part is going to be kept much more in check as far as the temptations and so on, mm -hmm. because the love actually develops. Mm -hmm. and, and the more you love this person, the less you're going to be willing or want to sin against the person. Mm -hmm. And, and so, so just it's a, it's a win-win thing if, if, the, uh, if the prayer life is, is there uh, individually and then together when you're dating somebody, uh, and obviously, if you're married, uh, it's a necessity. And but it's you know that again, God is calling all of us to be saints. And people look at marriage as sort of a second or third rate way of life. It is not. It is a vocation, and it is a sacrament. And so God has elevated marriage, and and wants 
people who were married to be saints. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we think that saints live in monasteries or something, and yeah, some do. But the vast majority of people are called to be married, which means the vast majority of people in heaven are married people, and heaven is a marriage. Mm -hmm. And so marriage is not second rate in God's way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. And so we can't look at it as second rate either. Mm -hmm. And so it is a profound vocation to holiness and to raise up saints, to help one another become saints, to raise up new saints for God. Mm -hmm. So so don't look down at, at your marriage or I, I wasn't good enough to be a priest or a nun, so I had to be married. It's like nonsense. Mm -hmm. You know, marriage is every bit of a, a, as much a vocation as a vocation to priesthood or religious life. Mm -hmm. And it seems and, like... And so don't downplay it. Right. It seems like some of the saints, like um, this week we had St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. Yeah. Well, she was mm -hmm. widowed. Correct. Right? So it's kind of like, well, some of the saints that you read about... Um, are saints, but maybe their spouse isn't, or we don't hear much about the spouse. Well, that leads me to a, a question about that. We only got two minutes left, Father. But Colleen's okay. saying you gotta, you should begin praying before you're married, before you're dating, mm -hmm. uh, and then you amplified that point of it. How important is it if you're praying with a spouse or praying for a spouse? Lord, send me, send me a wife, uh, a girl that I might. How important is it to have a uh, marriage partner of the same faith? Oh, good question. Actually, it makes a huge difference because what tends to happen is when the couples are not of the same faith, one of two things occurs. Either they generally don't talk about faith at all or they fight about it. And, and that's not good, obviously, for your children. Uh, so if you're on the same page, that makes just a huge, huge difference. Certainly, we all know people who are married to somebody who's not of the same faith, and they do okay, and, but, but at the same time, the kids wind up often being somewhat confused. And even you know, when we talked earlier about what, we, what do we pray together as a couple, well, if one is not Catholic, it's kind of hard to say, let's pray the rosary together. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so so it's, it, it limits some of the things spiritually, and even the understanding, because the basic understanding of marriage, when you look at somebody who's not Catholic, they have a very, very different understanding of marriage than what a Catholic person does. So, so the couple can get along very well together, but there are some deeper issues that can be in there that, that can be a difficulty if, if they're not on the same page. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it seems like then they either try to do both or neither or find something in the middle. And unfortunately, couples I know that are not of the same faith usually just quit doing anything at all. So right. that's very that's sad. Sad. It is, yeah. 51 years, Becky, you must have prayed for Keith. Or he prayed for me. <laughs> <laughs> How many years for you, Tom? Uh, this year will be um, 42. Oh. And I'll bet I'll embarrass her here. But somewhere around 10 years in... Um, she looked at me and she said, uh, and she never told me this. She says, I uh, prayed for you. I said, what do you mean you prayed for me? She says, I prayed to God to send me a Catholic guy. Mm. And I thought, where is he at? <laughs> 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 um, 
And I told her, too, that I, I too, had, uh, you know, was at the point of, this is enough. Send me a Catholic girl. Mm. That was 42 years ago. I guess it worked. So. Very good. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, um, Father, if people wanted to get a copy of your book, um, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, the, uh, the easiest way, uh, there's a website that's set up. It's godsplanforyourmarriagebook.com. And the nice part, if you order through there, there's no shipping or handling. Uh, of course, it, it's, uh, it's published by Sophia Institute Press. You can also get it there. But, um, but the cheapest way uh, is godsplanforyourmarriagebook.com. And this is for engaged couples, newlyweds, people married for decades and decades. Who's, who's it for, Father? It's actually for, for anybody who really wants to know about marriage because I can guarantee you that there's a lot of stuff. You've been married for 50 years. There's a lot of stuff in here you've never heard of or thought of before, and it can really change your understanding of, of marriage, hopefully in that spiritual way, and therefore work to deepen that, that, that union between the couple. Our guest has been Father Robert Altier. He's in South St. Paul, Minnesota. Becky's been with us. Colleen's been with us. And uh, we're flat out of time, Father. We thank our sponsors over at Hotworks on Holiday Drive. And would you be kind enough, Father, to bless all of us here in the studio and and everybody listening, please. Commending all of you to the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Sacred Heart of Jesus. The intercession of St. Joseph, protection of St. Michael, the guidance of your guardian angels, and the intercession of your patron saints. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. 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 Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Episode 113 has come to a close, Colleen. I know. Tune in again next week. We love you.